0: Welcome to Decoding the Gurus, the podcast where an anthropologist and a psychologist listen to the greatest minds the world has to offer, and we try our best to understand what they're talking about. I'm Professor Matt Brown, and with me is Chris Kavanaugh, the epistemic little online street fighter, scrappy messer abouterer that he is.
1: Welcome, Chris. You missed an opportunity to reference Scrappy-Doo, and I guess it's because you don't want to be Scooby-Doo. But well, if I'm Scrappy, you're Scooby. <laughs> I think that's an accurate description. You're just interested in eating sandwiches, a bit cowardly, <laughs> but but you're fundamentally lovable. Whereas I'm the new character that was introduced and annoys everyone. And I'm running around trying to start a fight.
0: <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. But you know, we also solve mysteries and unmask villains too. We we help.
1: That's we right. We help
0: the team do that, don't we? We do. Is, 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 isn't um, that what they do? The team of investigators. The people.
1: Yes. It would be helpful if I remembered what they're called. So everybody listening, now I shout it into your podcast, <laughs> the something yeah, gang, yeah. those guys. We don't need that many of us though. We just have the two of us and, and that's all. And sometimes we have guests, Matt, sometimes we have guests. So maybe we do have a gang. And uh, this episode and the next episode will involve us having discussions with insightful guests, helping us decode things, arguing back, telling us where we got wrong. So, so yeah, the Scooby yeah. analogy holds, it, it, it's even it better does. than I originally anticipated.
0: Mm. And who have we got with us today? I mean, I know, I know, but I'm asking you for the benefit of the audience. I know,
1: I understand how this game works. I'm a podcaster, <laughs> Matt. I've got this, don't worry. It's Josh Zeps, a cultural commentator, a journalist, a TV personality in australia God, what was that in australia uh,
0: <laughs> a, comp- a compatriot that's right
1: yeah uh, one of your fellow convicts and he's going to talk to us about a variety of things but of course the subject of joe rogan will come up because we covered joe and i think josh listened to our episode and thought some points we made were good some were bad so We decided to have a little chat about it and other stuff to do with the culture war and the heterodox space and online punditry. So so you have that coming up today. And then the next episode will be with Julian Walker from Conspirituality, where we're talking about a a range of things, including getting an update on Conspirituality and international culture wars and, and so on. So these are the two episodes that people are going to get within a short duration next to each other. So two interview episodes coming together. Lucky you, Mm. dear (laughs) listener. And all for free.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And congratulations to Julian and the Conspirituality Guys, because they've got a book coming out, haven't they?
1: Oh yeah. I'm sure they will announce it in better fashion, but yeah, they do have a book coming out and so that's good and well-deserved because they've been doing a lot of good research on the topic. So yeah. We will have a decoding episode up next week, but we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode. For now, Matt, in breaking news coming through the telegram, I had something that annoyed me on the internet, and I thought you might want to hear about it. I can see in your face that you're just like, what? Tell me, please, please. Well, you might have noticed. Matt, that there is an ongoing war, an invasion of Ukraine by Russia, which is not a laughing matter. I I want to emphasize, I'm not saying dark humor doesn't have its place, but you know, fuck Putin and all of that goes without saying that's the stance of the podcast. But there was a recent guest who I think falls squarely within the guru sphere, one Matt Taivi. From various things, used to be in, a journalist at Rolling Stone, but he's quite well known for being very critical of the Russia Gate stuff, right? He thinks that that was all hugely exaggerated and, in general, has been accused of being something of a Putin apologist. And he quite confidently predicted in the build up to the war that it wasn't going to happen. Then it did happen. And he issued a uh, mea culpa on his substack, And that was roundly applauded for, you know, admitting that he made a mistake. And then he recently went on the fifth column to discuss the war in Ukraine and his takes. And so the fifth column, it's an interesting podcast. I know you listen to it as well, Matt. Yeah. For people that don't know it, it is a libertarian american libertarian podcast talking about you know politics and current affairs and my experience with it it's kind of like a roller coaster because they have some very nice takes and deep dives on topics good discussions and then because they're libertarians sometimes they just like car crash into terrible takes and incredibly annoying episodes and they actually have been quite good In their Ukraine coverage, they've been, you know, pretty straightforward that this is something that needs to be condemned. They haven't been both sides in it. And they've basically taken sensible points that totalitarian state invading a neighbor is not something that anybody really needs to think that much about in regards to who's to blame in in that situation. Um, Mm. But they had on Matt Taibbi and some reasonable points of discussion and whatnot, and Matt Taibbi sort of indicated that he might be in favor of uh, military intervention, which was quite surprising now. Um, But the part that was more surprising to me was to hear Taivi explain, you know, basically the position of cognitive empathy for Russia, right? And he, he wanted to say about NATO expansion being threatening to Russia. And that they have to take this into account when they're looking at the events in Ukraine and so on and so forth. But I, I thought the fifth column guys did a good job of pointing out that most of the countries that are referenced about joining NATO and being concerning to Russia have not been admitted to NATO, like Belarus or Ukraine, for, for that matter, over, over the space of 30 years of talks. And it was not really on the cards. And then secondly, that... If you view, you know, NATO as a kind of imperial force or whatever, there's actually no cases of NATO invading a country, like aggressively annexing another country's territory. So you might be concerned about that, but the two things are not the same because Russia has done that, whereas NATO has never done that. And uh, Matt Taibbi took that point, but then was saying, you know, well, but Russia has a You know, it's concerned about the possibility of the West coming in and invading and taking its territory. And it remembers the historical events and the the host pushed him, you know, what does he mean? Which which historical events? And can you guess, Hmm. Matt, you know, when he said the the West has invaded Russia in aggressive wars. So, so what, what would you think a historical event with that
0: reference? Oh, he cited the Nazis. The, the Nazi invasion Correct. of Russia?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. He the Nazi invasion and said, you know, Russia has a legitimate thing because before Germany got quite aggressive on their borders and, you know, attempted to invade them. And they got to the point of saying, well, you, you mean like, you mean Hitler, World War, World War II? And he's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's the West. It was a Western country. And, oh yes, the
0: the third Reich and NATO, very similar, very similar yes, organizations. Yeah,
1: it was a, <laughs> it was a quite remarkable take, especially when you consider that Russia has engaged of wars of aggression with ex-Soviet satellites in, in the yeah. past 20 odd years, and actually invaded countries. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, you don't need to go back to World War II to to remember armed conflicts involving territory being annexed, involving Russia. You <sighs> can go to this lifetime.
0: It's, yeah. it's such a terrible take, isn't it? The, the false equivalence um, is such an annoying stance. When Russia has brought other countries into its orbit, it's generally done so at the head of tank columns that roll in and force countries to become part of its organization, whether it's part of the Russian Federation or part of Warsaw Pact or something like that. That is not the case with NATO. In fact, countries are clamoring to join NATO and NATO is reluctant to admit them. Not not the same, Chris. Not the same.
1: It's, well, Matt, is Germany or is it not in NATO? Answer that question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's a good gotcha. You got me.
1: And was Germany not the country that <laughs> invaded Russia in World War Two? Answer me that, uh, Matt.
0: All right. Oh, well, enough dunking on poor Taibi. I, I don't know him um, that, that well, but he sounds like a joker. Yeah, I have the same conflicted relationship with the fifth column as you do. On one hand, I like The banter, they talk about, like you described it as a libertarian podcast, but a lot of the time, like they're also just journalists and and a lot of the time it's just that kind of of insider type talk and, and it's informative and fun and many of their takes are good. But yeah, when they veer, you can almost tell when their brains have been contaminated by the libertarianism because they just, they say terribly stupid things when that happens. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and on this episode, the take was that if you want to punish Russian oligarchs to try and uh, deter, that you need to also punish Russian oligarchs who have left Russia because of their opposition to Putin. Otherwise, you're not being consistent. And it was like that doesn't no doesn't follow exactly. Yeah, when when your
0: libertarianism means that you are so laissez faire that you are ideologically against any kind of sanctions on dictatorships for invading other countries, then,
1: you know, maybe you've gone a little bit far down that road. Yeah, And then just to be clear to our fifth column brethren, like (laughs) their takes on Ukraine have been pretty good overall. So this is, this was just a frustration. Yeah, It was just Guru Sphere takes hitting my eardrums because Tyvee appeared on it. So we will cover him at some time. So there we go. But um, now that they've got that out of my system, Matt. I, I hear something in the air. <laughs> Whenever I hear this, I, I start to get the feeling. I get concerns. I'm worried about clickbait and sensationalized content manipulating our minds. Media bias and political polarization. It keeps me up at night. And what I want is people to engage in more scepticism, more critical thinking. And you have any idea, like, is there any sort of tool, any app that we could recommend (laughs) that people use that might help them with this?
0: I think it could be referring to Ground News. This app, this website, I'm looking at their website right now, they provide this service. It's not a silver bullet but it certainly does give you some helpful contextual information around news
1: stories i think it shows you how breaking news is being covered across the political spectrum that's the kind of thing it 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 does let you see stories being presented left and right-wing media and this is actually quite a useful tool i think in the ongoing coverage of Ukraine the conflict over there to see what's been presented on certain news channels and not on others mm. so you can use it to sort news by bias and factuality or prioritize local or international coverage so there's a variety a variety of functions. You know, overall, Matt, I think this is a good little app and it, it's not just the music making me say that. It's good. If people wanted to get this app, they, I suppose they'd have to pay a million pounds or something like that.
0: No, I'm pretty sure it's those five easy payments of $19.95. That's how you get it. Yeah. No, Matt, it
1: wrong. It's free. All you need to do is go to the website, grindnews forward slash gurus. That shows them we sent you. And you can download a free app. My God, man. Do it. Yes.
0: Give it a try. Yeah, it free. should be helpful for you.
1: Do it. Go. Goodbye. Don't be This offer will end soon.
0: (laughs) You get a free set of steak knives if you go there now.
1: You won't get those, but go anyway. That's right. Listen to Matt, he's going mad. So yes, that's it. Grind.news forward slash gurus. Go check it out uh, if you're interested. And with that out of the way, Matt, with that covered, let's jump to Mr. Zepps. Let's go
0: hello and welcome to decoding the gurus the podcast where two academics listen to the greatest minds the world has to offer and try to understand what they're talking about and sometimes we have people on to help us and today that person is josh zeps and i'm one of the world's greatest minds now am i one of the gurus now is that what
2: my introduction just was i ladies and gentlemen am hereby (laughs) i mean you heard it here
0: i'm one of the world's greatest Minds, you're an assistant decoder. Okay, that's your role decoder. at the moment. Uh,
2: lovely to be here. Uh, love this show. I've been bouncing around since the Joe Rogan episode with you guys doing extensive deep dives into what he got right and wrong. So, I'm glad mm-hmm. that our paths are, are crossing about the validity or invalidity of speech. Let me get this straight you guys want uh, him executed? Is there, a, do you want Joe Rogan? Ex- <laughs> is it
1: that's that's pretty much it? it I electric think. Chair? it's, it's whatever means is effective against the the level of supplements that his body houses so that's that's what we're, we're going to go You'd for
2: a answer, wouldn't you to to bring that man down
1: <laughs> it, it does feel like he's a kind of a stocky little bald son around which all discourse now orbits online and so if he was to be executed it might be for the betterment for online discourse, you I don't know, think aside so. from, don't think free, so. just, you know, the, no. it, it would definitely make, uh, be less articles released well, weekly, definitely, uh,
2: There would definitely be less clickbaity articles about Australian yeah. owning Joe Rogan or like guest owning Joe Rogan or someone or other oh, owning yeah. Joe Rogan. There's always a lot of, like those journalists don't like him. They love to write articles about how he's getting owned on his own show.
1: Mm. Yes, they they are fond of that. And in a bizarre way, you were the hero of the liberal media for a little while, Uh, just on the basis of that clip. (laughs) Yeah, people
2: don't know. When I was, I just happened to be on Joe's show at just the moment when Neil Young's Spotify threat happened. And like those 270 healthcare professionals or something wrote an open letter to Spotify saying that they wanted to boot it off the platform and everything. So I was momentarily like that. 15 minutes Mm. of fame in the bad tabloid sense but it was weird because they all because I had a he and I had an exchange in which I corrected him on something some piece of vaccine misinformation and so then everyone thought that I was like some hero for just having a conversation in which I simply made the most rudimentary and basic scientific facts available but what's funny is that then you've got these allies who you really don't want to have who are people like yeah, we should shut down all of this misinformation from the conservatives. And we should make sure that social media companies boot off everybody who disagrees with, with progressive equity and justice causes. Go, Josh. And I'm like, wait a second. No, that's not that wasn't my position at all. I was just correcting one small piece of data about myocarditis. I didn't want to become a poster child for getting rid
1: of Joe Rogan. I will say when I listened to that episode, though, Josh, that I think you're slightly on the plane because it was quite cathartic when you appeared. I listened to Joe's content, not all of it. There's a lot of it every week, but various episodes. And I've heard him talk about COVID a lot. It's a very recurrent topic on his show. I've seen his interviews with mainstream scientists and whatnot as well. And to your credit, you are one of the first people I've seen who strongly push back on some points. And I'm, I don't mean in an aggressive manner. I mean, just more exactly what you're saying, you know, saying, well, it's not like uh vaccine versus nothing. It should be vaccine versus infection for most of the outcomes that you care about. And so I think it was unusual because amongst Joe's multiple guests, I haven't seen... Many people push back that strongly. I, mean, I think before. That,
2: that's kind of you to say, but I think that just tells you more about what total wusses most people are and how low the bar is for conversation <laughs> everywhere mm. than anything yeah. about me. I mean, if you were at a pub and your mate said something that you sort of were pretty sure isn't true, if your buddy was like the best way to to get over a cold is to you know light aromatherapy candles or something, and you were like uh, I don't think that it is, and he was like No, 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 I'm pretty I'm pretty sure it is. You wouldn't just le- leave that i mean i wouldn't just leave that you'd go yeah. what are you talking about it's not it's not and that's the way that you we would communicate all of a sudden people walk into like the rogan lair and suddenly they have to hang up their own opinions at the door because of the power of this like wizard of oz character behind the <laughs> screen what are you talking about he's a bloke i'm a bloke we're just talking maybe it's a cultural thing maybe it's an australian thing or something. I honestly like I know that this is true because I remember thinking to myself as I left the studio did I say anything that's going to get me into trouble and I mentally went through a good half dozen exchanges and that moment didn't come up to me as being a moment where I had like courageously made a bold point or anything like five minutes after that happened it was just over it was one of those things i think there's there's way too much politeness and politeness (laughs) and cowardice really in our conversations like people people think that to challenge someone's stupid point is a mark of disrespect i'm much more along the lines of what richard dawkins says which is my criticism of your stupid idea is a sign of respect for you as a person to believe that you are capable of you know dealing with me on a rational basis and having your idiocy mm. pointed out to you. I, I'm almost condescending to you if I let your bad point slide. Mm.
1: I like
0: that. Yeah, I like that too. You mentioned not being overly polite. And I've got to say, this is one of the things we've noticed that seems to have gone seriously wrong in the whatever heterodox idw adjacent free speech type crowd which is there's a very big influence of the importance of personal relationships and civility and you know it's so great we're being able to have this conversation and they make such a big deal about this sort of meeting of minds but they don't disagree with each other on anything substantive and they're just afraid or something it's just weird I mean, sometimes, I know what you mean, sometimes they do disagree with each other
2: about substantive things, take like gay rights or something, and you might have like a Ben Shapiro and a Joe Rogan, or a Ben Shapiro and a Sam Harris, or something like that, and Hmm. to their credit they're being civil, to their credit they're not stoning each other and hounding each other out of a job. I also feel the same way about not wanting to interrupt people during conversations. People will occasionally text me when I'm on the air, listeners, because I have a radio show on ABC Radio Sydney for people who are in Australia. And, you know, they'll say, let the guests speak. Now, <laughs> you might conclude from that that I'm a big blabbermouth who should just shut up and let the guests speak. But actually, if the guest is like filibustering and is just going off on some long tangent, it's the job of the interlocutor to rein them back in. And in the same way, it's sort of the job of the person who's in the conversation to not regard civility as the only goal. Otherwise, you end up with a succession of speeches, right? And, and yeah. that, again, at the pub, that's not the way we talk. You don't stay quiet until your friend has completely stopped talking. And then you just talk for as long as you want to. And they have no recourse about interrupting mm. you. They just have to sit there silently and listen to whatever you want to say, even if it's four hours long. That's not how the the way humans communicate.
0: All right. I'm going to interrupt you now. Interrupt me. (laughs) (laughs) You've you've, you've
1: signed your own down for No, that's right.
0: (laughs) Like I reckon about 12 or 18 months ago, I was very much more in the free speech absolutist camp and really having a visceral dislike of the cancellors and that kind of thing. And I think I've started to, move uh, a great deal in where i stand joe rogan's a good example of this with the malone and the mcculloch kind of episodes and the way in which misinformation and bad information seems to have so much more power than true and good information which is often boring often uncomfortable doesn't hit the right intuitive and emotional buttons and it's given me a sense that this idea that, oh, just have this free market of ideas and the good ideas, the uh, truthful information will rise to the surface. I don't think that happens naturally. I think it needs like moderation and curation and editorial oversight of some kind. There has to be someone somewhere who takes responsibility for things because certainly someone like Joe Rogan doesn't. I mean, until you can articulate what that someone somewhere looks like, to
2: me, that sounds as naive as the Marxist who says the economic system of capitalism is broken, therefore we need something somehow better. And and I would just have a Churchillian rejoinder, which is like, this is the best system apart from all the others. Uh, sorry, this is the mm. worst, you know, his point about democracy <laughs> being the worst yeah. political system apart from all the yeah. others. I mean, I think a free exchange of bullshit is the worst, you know,
0: information system apart from all the others, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's a good rebuttal. But I mean, a good analogy is say, yeah, let's stick with the sort of democracy idea, right? So we have democracy, but we we don't have direct democracy in the sense that we're having a plebiscite on every single thing at every instant of the day, because that that would actually... (laughs) The Swiss (laughs) Swiss are always going to the polls about
2: whether or not they should ban minarets or something. (laughs) No more referendums.
0: We, yeah. We've had and, enough. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and so, similar to more the legacy media type apparatus, the sort of stuff that existed before social media, you know, God knows it wasn't perfect and still isn't, you know, there's these sort of checks and balances and some kind of institutional culture that arises that, that moderates the good thing. In this case, the good thing is, is free speech and free exchange of ideas, just like various institutions moderate democracy so that it's not totally unfettered. And and it's like the difference between regulated capitalist system like we have in Australia Mm. and some sort of anarcho-capitalist thing. I mean, what would that gatekeeper look like? Like traditionally, that gatekeeper
2: has been people who have the money to own newspapers and radio stations and television stations. So publishers have basically employed editors. And really, Mm. for quite a short period of time, from the 50s until the 2010s, we had those people as gatekeepers. And they did a great job Mm. at keeping out total wild bullshit. But they also had their own faults of having a bias towards the institutional power structures of the states that we live in. And they would take a very long time to get any information out about lies that would lead us into wars like Vietnam or Iraq or whatever. And they would be complicit with all kinds of misinformation that powerful people wanted us to believe and so now those structures have crumbled and everyone can talk to everybody else and we're still in the first three seconds of this social media podcasting experiment in which of course Mm -hmm. there's going to be a fire hose of bullshit i think your critique is cleaner when you're talking about someone who persistently presses bullshit into the public sphere and we can think about people (laughs) like that who make a, a conscious effort to willfully inject inaccuracies into people's feeds and so i I would separate joe from that because i think joe is a big puppy dog who just wants to talk to lots of people and sometimes those people will be full of shit, and sometimes those people won't be full of shit. but on balance i think one's wiser by having him in the world than not and we can agree or disagree about that yeah uh, chris you look like you're about to jump in
1: there i'd say joe from my experience is pretty good at creating a large amount of people that are peddling that misinformation, to put it mildly, like, I take the point about where you draw the boundaries is always going to be a tricky question, right? There can be disagreement about the validity of deplatforming Alex Jones, but most people have some line, like they'll say, you can't have people out promoting that you allow children to drink bleach, right? And it sounds an extreme example, but uh, you may or may not know that there was a, a kind of group and movement was promoting just that like parents to to get their children to drink like quite strong bleach which had predictable effects right there were various cases uh, court cases and so on around the legality of what they were doing and that but i i think for most people there's kind of like okay we don't need to permit that or we at least should have some minimum standards about promoting medical misinformation that will harm people and when it comes to if we stick with the Malone and McCulloch episodes, because we know them quite well, or just recently Joe had Majid on as well, right? The level of conspiracism that we're talking about, it isn't people debating how many cases of myocarditis there are for under five-year-olds in one study. The level of conspiracy there is them saying that doctors in hospitals are getting gunshot wounds and recording them as COVID deaths, that the pandemic was planned years in advance, and we know this because of Johns Hopkins training documents, and that they have the solution that could cause 90% of uh, fatalities not to have occurred, but they're being suppressed by medical authorities in order to profit. Then you can take that as Joe is just entertaining somebody with, you know, on fringe positions, But at the end of those episodes and subsequently, including in the apology video, the way Joe editorializes that is these people have extremely impressive credentials. They were not promoting wild conspiracies. These are the kind of discussions that we need to have. These are genuine debates. And if you do what he did very recently, for example, where you get Peter Osterholm, I think the, the kind of mainstream vaccine doctor on and you have him. And then next week, you have Majid Nawaz, the episode that was kind of held over. I think that Joe is doing what he promised to do in the apology video, which is balancing a mainstream opinion with a fringe opinion. But that gives the people listening a large portion of them. One, they know that Joe is kind of being forced into that position because of the controversy surrounding it, and and because he mentions it on subsequent episodes but also too, it gives the impression of having a climate change denier and a climate change scientist one week and the next week.
2: But I think I think we've got to be clear about what level this conversation or this criticism is taking place on. It sounds to me like you're making essentially an editorial criticism of Joe's show, where, wherein you're mm-hmm. saying, if you were the content director of uh, the Joe Rogan experience, then these are the changes that you would make. You and I would probably concur about all of those changes. I mean, if it was my show, I just wouldn't have McCullough on the show. And you know, that's true because I haven't had McCullough on my show, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's prima facie true. And you guys haven't either. You've taken a long time to try to dismantle his view, but then there's another level on which this conversation can take place, which is the level on which it's taking place mostly on social media and among the mainstream press as well, which is given that we don't run Joe Rogan's show. Given that Joe Rogan runs Joe Rogan's show and that he's not beholden to anybody apart from his audience and himself, what should be the appropriate limits that we as a culture or a community put on his ability to speak and to project that speech to whoever wants to consume it? And it's that latter question that I think is the more interesting one. We can nitpick about whether or not he's giving this kind of this false equivalence to batshit crazy ideas as to legitimate ideas. I think we should be more cautious than we are being in general about thinking that there's no downside to making life intolerable for kooks and mm. that that it's actually quite a difficult thing to say that people don't have a right to be a bit crazy or eccentric. And I'm talking about the guests here, not so much Joe. Like Joe is intrigued by crazy eccentric people, by people who have fringe opinions. The first thing you said was he claimed that people with gunshot wounds are being listed as COVID victims i thought that was crazy as well so then i did a deep dive and a fact check about it and it's actually not the case that that doesn't happen that that never happened it doesn't happen to such a large extent that it would skew the numbers but if you google it it's a state-by-state thing and each hospital especially at the peak of the pandemic in the states apparently i mean this is what what i found They would list it. It wasn't that they would say it was the cause of death. It was that in all of the chaos of things, it would get listed as a COVID thing and there's no central database uh, accumulating all of the COVID data. So that would go off and it may be the case that states would be counting as COVID deaths, deaths from all causes of people who died with COVID. But that may be immaterial either way, but that's a different question of like whether or not the whole thing was planned two years in advance, which is a different question of, and now I can't remember what the third criticism (coughs) was. Do you remember what your third a
1: a veritable smorgasbord to choose from. But the one that I referenced was that they have the protocol, which is being suppressed, which could prevent 90% of the deaths.
2: So that's a piece of actual medical misinformation, an anti-scientific claim. So Mm. all of those are are very different. And I'm not sure that I want a board of uh, media Mm.
0: bureaucrats deciding whether or not they're legitimate to be aired. We would agree with you there, I think 100%. And I think that's a good point you make about distinguishing what level of criticism we're talking about chris and i without decoding the gurus thing we're just doing our free speech thing as well right criticizing these other mm. people who are out there and and we do it forcefully i think and that's fine but to talk about what should be allowed or not allowed i mean we've never called for joe rogan to be cancelled or there would be some law or something made such that joe rogan can no longer make podcasts There's there's nothing like that in fact we haven't really thought about it that much but to the extent that i have the only thing i would say is that i would push back on the free speech absolutists who would say that not only should any speech be allowed but also no one is allowed to not help spread or platform any kind of speech for any grounds whatsoever
2: no one is allowed to not help spread there are too many double negatives here man i'll try again, I'll try again.
0: That, that was terrible i admit it so let's say hypothetically spotify said look we're not comfortable being the platform that that hosts this kind of stuff. It's medical disinformation. People are literally dying from not getting vaccinated and relying on ivermectin instead. Joe's not going to change, so Joe's not welcome on our platform, right? Now, I personally wouldn't have a problem with that, and any more than I'd have a problem with you deciding, oh, look, I'm not going to have McCulloch on my show. I, I think there can be not some sort of central office of bureaucratic oversight that that decides on these things but rather just like any kind of curation or mm. editorial decisions there can be an organic kind of thing where platforms or magazine editors or the abc or whoever can make decisions about what they think is a good thing to be associated with
1: yeah just before it becomes like completely irrelevant <laughs> <but> I, <laughs> i'll say that on the issue of the recording of gunshot wounds i would say like. I'm sure there is an occasion or a handful of occasions where things have happened like that, where there's been an error. But the notion that doctors are deliberately misrecording deaths in order to gain profit, which is what the strong inference was there, and that this is such a common occurrence that it's hugely inflating the death numbers, like it wasn't presented as oh, there was a single case in one county which was covered in right-wing media that you can find. It was presented as, this is a policy from the CDC and the WHO to inflate whatever the relevant bodies are, to inflate the numbers. And I think that's different. And Matt and I often say that when people are defending the stuff that the people promoting misinformation present, they'll present it in the nicest way, right, the most charitable way possible. But that's not the impression they give in the content. And those examples that I listed, that's just like three things out of three hours of constant innuendo and references and extreme claims that people then do take apart. But I think the effect is cumulative and that that has to count into the analysis. And when it comes to what Spotify execs should do, I agree with you that, like, it's a tricky topic and there's going to be platforms that have different regulations and say Spotify did kick Joe off, like they won't, but if they ever did, we could just go somewhere else or he could be on his own. He's he's got enough of an audience that it's not like he's going to be silenced. Well, yeah, I mean, as I
2: tweeted during the whole Spotify brouhaha and everyone should follow me on Twitter at Josh Sepps for (laughs) many more such nuggets of of ingenious as this, (laughs) Uh, you If Spotify dumped Joe Rogan, he would go from being the number one podcaster in the world to being the uh, number one podcaster in the world. Like He was already the number one podcaster in the world before he (laughs) joined Spotify, and he's in a walled garden at Spotify, and if they booted him out, then he would no longer be behind a Spotify wall, and he would be available on all platforms, including iTunes, again. Plus, he would have all the new followers who would regard him as a, a free speech martyr. I mean, My main point during that whole thing was less about whether Joe Rogan's a good or bad force... And more about, just think about the consequences of what you're actually trying to achieve. If your goal is to turn down the volume on misinformation, the best way to turn up the volume on misinformation would be to kick him off Spotify because he'd be equally popular and he'd have all the benefit of victimization and victimhood and he'd be available on more platforms. Chris, your quibble about exactly whether or not the gunshot wound thing was part of the conversation about there being a a CDC-inspired conspiracy in order to inflate COVID deaths or whether it was simply a way for McCullough to articulate that there was a lot of messiness in the data is precisely the kind of reason why these conversations about what should and shouldn't be aired Are so difficult. Like my recollection of that particular part of the conversation. Malone, Malone, sorry, yeah, I I get my quacks uh, confused uh, (laughs) (laughs) occasionally, and I I had to stop listening uh, after forty five minutes of that conversation just because I can spot it. I can spot (laughs) it quack. Like I don't mean to demean the guy, but. The kind of, and you guys got into this a bit on your dissection of Malone as well, where like the, or oh, shucks, I don't mean to imply anything, but here I am, one guy and not suggesting anything, wink, wink, got a little bit rich for me. It's like I interview a lot of medical experts and they tend not to talk like that. They just tend not to make such grandiose insinuations while pretending not to. They just tend to be a lot more cautious. But I found that one moment where he was talking about gunshots like joe was as incredulous as you and i were about that he was like what that can't be right that people are coming in with a gunshot wound and then they're getting counted as a COVID death so i did google it and it did seem like from progressive sources from like i can't remember it was a washington post or npr or something which was fact
0: checking that and they were saying that does Mm. that did happen you know you have to acknowledge though that with all conspiracy theories they're often built out of these little kernels of truth yeah. Yes. And the issue is they, they spin them up into this narrative, obviously. So so we, we can probably stop litigating that, but I certainly. guess we I still mean, see. Certainly, yeah.
2: because I mean, the other point that I tried to make on Joe's show and I continually make on Twitter, but Americans don't want to hear is the world outside America exists. America is not a majority of COVID cases there's a lot of data. So people are like, people are trying to do (laughs) their best, but people are like, people will always talk about theirs, the vaccine adverse incidents, you know, schedule and how inaccurate it was and whether American hospitals were paid to inflate numbers or deflate numbers or something. Like you can just carve America out of the whole data set if you want to. If you're suspicious about big pharma and the Biden administration or something, then just ignore all of that and look at South Korea, Taiwan, Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Western Europe, all all of the Middle East, Africa, like there are a lot of countries that have public health systems that do a reasonably good job at keeping track of numbers. And unless you think that they're all coordinated by the WHO into manipulating their own data, and all of those political entities from all over the political spectrum are all in cahoots, it doesn't make any sense to like To keep cherry picking these arguments about why America's data might be incorrect. Have you listened to James Lindsay recently? Or seen any of his (laughs) tweets? (laughs) (laughs) Let me just make one last point. I want to get to James Lindsay uh, because I'm very frustrated that I just lost a podcast interview with him. We were talking about this before we went on the air. I spoke to him for almost two hours for my podcast, and the damn platform that we were recording on zencaster lost the audio. And nonetheless, before we move on from Spotify a couple of points just about Matt your point about like Spotify's a private company so they're allowed to choose who they want to be aligned with and what ideas they want to be associated with it's true i think it's also sometimes a fatuous dodge to say twitter is a private company facebook's a private company it's there are no free speech implications of them booting somebody off we all know that these are the places where civilization currently has its arguments with itself about things and if you're very on Twitter, or very on Instagram, or very on Facebook, or very on TikTok, or Snapchat, mm. I guess someone uses Snapchat to chat still, yep. then that's a significant portion of the way that you communicate. Yes, they're private companies, but a phone company is a private company, and we would all regard it as being something of an infringement of your rights if the phone company cut off your phone because it didn't like what you were saying on your phone calls. Like, they are clearly some sort of a hybrid, you, you don't have full first amendment constitutional rights to say whatever you want to on it. You shouldn't want to compel social media companies by law to keep horrible bigoted monsters on their platforms. But by the same token, I think it's a bit cute to just be like, they're private companies. There are no free speech implications. I mean, imagine if it happened to you and you were no longer able to do a podcast because you were being barred from everything because you were a political dissident or, or something. You wouldn't regard that as being a legitimate use of power. And then the second point I would just make about that particular line is, It depends how the platforms are making their decision about who to kick off. Part of the concern about quote unquote cancel culture is that the decisions are being made in haste and in response to mobs, essentially. And like, uh, you know, the point that I made in print during the whole Joe Rogan thing and also on panel shows when I would be invited on to talk about it as an unlikely Joe Rogan defender since I'd been the savage beast who'd call him out on his own show. But the point I would make is who exactly do we want to be dictating the contours of our public conversation? Do we want it to be aging rock stars who are responding to you know do we want it to basically be 22-year-old skateboarding millennials in Silicon Valley who are software engineers who are responding to boycotts by aging rock stars that are motivated by Twitter mobs? There has to be a better way of deciding <laughs> who does and does not get to use the most powerful communication tools the 21st century has offered.
1: On that subject, Josh, though, on the opposite side of the ledger, to to step away from Joe for a minute, although I, I do have something I want to ask you about the way that he responded, and you kind of praised him for responding, but before I get there, Stephen Molyneux. I don't know if you're familiar with him, a kind of ethno-nationalist. I mean,
2: I'm, I'm, I know who that. Is. I know who that is. I don't consume any of his content.
1: A wise choice. But so he—he he was the platformed, right, along with you know a more well-known figure, Alex Jones, and both of those people. I think it's—it's it's fairly straightforward if you look at their content. were are promoting like white ethno-nationalism and conspiracism, right? And people were arguing that if they were deplatformed, you know, people would just go into the dark crevices of the Internet and seek them out and that it wouldn't damage their audience size. Now, I don't think you're making that argument because the the point I want to make is it did. Right. Deplatforming works. And there are people that are they're not removed such that you can't access the material. You want to look up Stefan Molyneux, you can do it right now and find all his material online. What he doesn't have is access to Twitter or Facebook or these large platforms that give him access to an audience. And it doesn't seem that that's that's an automatic right. And on that point, setting aside the misinformation conspiracy sphere, the medical misinformation issue in particular, you have an example outside of COVID where HIV AIDS denialism was a popular fringe medical view. Joe Rogan had Peter Doosberg on his show to promote it and very recently referred to him as, you know, a brilliant guy with these ideas that people shouldn't be silencing. That ideology came to have influence in the South African government. And there's been various calculations made, but even in the lowest orders, it's tens of potentially hundreds of thousands of people that died needlessly because of medical misinformation reaching the higher echelons of government. And I think that often when people are talking about those issues, they're not weighing, they're kind of saying, you know, well, if people choose to take ivermectin, that's their choice and they're they're not grappling with what the other side of that ledger is, medical misinformation can result in a serious amount of deaths, especially if it reaches big influential people. And Rogan and a lot of people in his position who have like a huge, huge platform because of the success of their program, it definitely does seem like, I, I think having some standards or some concern about promoting HIV AIDS denialism, like Joe did that when he was much smaller. If he did that now, I wonder, would your position be that, well, that's fine because it's the marketplace of ideas. Like, where does that line fall
2: for you? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I think that guy has all the all that blood on his hands because wasn't he a minister in the South African government or he was like the senior advisor to the office of the prime minister or something in South
1: Africa? The health minister, I know, hit antiretroviral drugs as like a plot by the West, but I don't know what Peter Duisberg particular... Role yeah, was. I mean,
2: you put it this way, it, it wasn't because of going on Joe Rogan that he was able to exert an outside oh, influence no, 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 on the no, policy no. Of, the, of South Africa. As, as I said, from an editorial point of view, I just wouldn't talk to someone like that. And I wouldn't talk to, I mean, if you remove McCullough and Malone from the Rogan archive, it strikes me that 90% of people's criticisms about his medical misinformation vanished, don't they?
1: Well, I think those episodes, because of the focus on COVID are the kind of black hole sucking in the attention, but Joe has been talking pretty consistently for nearly two years about COVID. Uh, Maybe Brett Weinstein's appearance with Pierre Corey and even earlier than that. I I think it has become more of a central topic. Joe is now pretty much like the biggest platform for anti-vaxxers in the US, possibly in the world. That, That seems like something that you can have Opinions and debates about, without it being necessarily focused on woke cancel culture, that we we need to take him out because we don't like his show. Mm. I mean, in a, in a way, it's almost like the
2: the pushback achieved like a good outcome in the sense that the the mo- I, I think the goals of the people who were uh, trying to cancel him were misguided in the sense that it would only have empowered him. And I take your point that. I'm only saying that it would have empowered him if he'd been booted off Spotify. I'm not saying it would have empowered him if he'd been booted off Spotify, Twitter, Facebook, Apple, and YouTube, right? If, yeah. Yes, if you cancel a person from everywhere, like Molyneux or Alex Jones, then they do go away to a large degree. I, I'm just saying in the in the narrow case of the Rogan example, what people were calling for was that he should be booted off a closed system and allowed in, onto an open system like iTunes. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know what to... That's a good point about... Uh, so, like, uh, just to finish the thought about it, it being a good outcome overall. The anti-Joe people were kind of pushing for what I think was a misguided solution, but in meeting them halfway, Spotify implemented uh, solutions like putting warnings on McCullough and Malone, mm-hmm. and then including more contrarian pushback against the crazies when the crazies do come on. Uh, you're shaking your head, Chris, as if that was t- that was too little, too late, or uh, just too no, little. No, I, I, I just
1: feel like. The the disclaimer thing is kind of pointless because who cares, you know, like parental advisory, that's the album that you want to listen to. And I guess the, like one point that I also made on TV when when I was
2: interviewed about this on a panel, which was interesting, it was like, it was a, a panel show in Australia called The Drum and I'm there as like the Joe Rogan expert and there are three panelists <laughs> who are all there. Now, they're they're critical of Joe because he doesn't do enough research before he talks to these people. So he can't give adequate pushback against the expert ideas that are being presented that are incorrect medically. And there are three people on the panel, none of whom listen to Joe Rogan or use Spotify. And Mm -hmm. the host of the show is asking them all their opinion about whether Rogan should be booted off Spotify, which of course they all roundly concur with generally. And Mm. I didn't have time to say this, but I wish that I had had time to say, so let me just get this straight. We are all talking about a man who we don't listen to on a platform we don't use with a show that we don't consume. And where our problem with him is that he doesn't do his research. Mm. (laughs) And we're talking about how important it is that he be deprived of the right to speak and to interview whoever he wants to. So one point that I did make there was that there is a shifting ground of opinion about what is correct or not correct? I mean, the example that the that the host of the show gave me was like at some point we all have to agree on facts. you know if we if we're talking about Rio Tinto, we have to agree that it's a West Australian mining company. and for people who don't know what Rio Tinto is, it is indeed a West Australian mining company. And my point was, well, that's the sort of fact about which there's no dispute. But there are all kinds of facts that there is still a legitimate dispute about that we think are true now, and we don't necessarily know what we'll think of them in a couple of years. Like the pandemic has been full of misinformation from a lot of different sources. Joe has made the point that if you were to, you know, say that everyone should be wearing masks in April of 2020, you are hounded down as wanting to. Kill doctors because, you know, masks didn't work back then because we were all supposed to not get them because we wanted to keep the masks that don't work for the doctors who apparently don't need them. You know, there have been all kinds of flip flops about the lab leak theory. It was originally ridiculous, then it was less ridiculous. Now it seems to be a bit more ridiculous again. Without a space in which we can talk about some of the kookier ideas without being laughed out of the room, not in a news show, but in a conversation show hosted by a mixed martial arts commentator slash comedian like without Mm. a space in which that can happen i think culture is poorer not not richer i mean i'm simply calling for our conception of the public square to be as wide as possible and and the scope of rambunctious crazy conversations to be as generous as possible to each other and the downside of that is that you're right a lot of bullshit will get picked up by gullible people but the upside is that hopefully over time sunlight is the best disinfectant and People will not be so suppressed in the ideas that they can consume, that they're all sort of conformist sheep. At the moment, it it seems weird to be be making that case because we're so obviously in an environment of totally chaotic (laughs) misinformation and disinformation that even I feel overwhelmed by it and I wish there was some way to get our arms around it. But I'm not quite sure what the way to get our arms around it is that doesn't cause more problems than uh, just allowing people to speak their minds.
1: I think Matt might have some takes on that, but just very briefly, Josh, to say that when it comes to the deplatforming issue with Rogan, my stance on that is not so strong. Like, I do think the Maca- Maloney McCulloch episode should be taken down. I think that Spotify should implement a strong misinformation policy, especially during the pandemic. But whatever the case may be, you know, each platform designs its own policies and whatnot. I'm just arguing that I think that would be better, and it kind of relates to the point that you're making, that both Matt and I think it is important that whatever your stance you take on Joe's content or any content, you have to actually know and address what's there. And so many of the commentary whether pro or anti Joe, are going off a version which is in their head or which is based on very small snippets. And, and we find that as well as the people critiquing Joe, the people defending Joe often present it as if he has no editorial line. He doesn't really care about COVID. He doesn't have strong opinions one way or the other. And that's completely wrong as well.
0: Josh, yeah, you know, you're right to be frustrated with people calling for Joe to be banned without knowing anything about it, really, and not listening to it. We struck a lot of people who call the criticisms of joe like cancel culture and stuff like that and defend him as just an average guy who's interested in having conversations and if he's got any faults it's just he's a little bit open-minded or too trusting or something and my prize before listening to too much of joe rogan's content was that was pretty much that actually he was just a man in the street type guy and i thought actually that fancy pants academics could probably learn a thing or two from him in terms of knowing how to speak to people (laughs) But having listened to a lot of it, I've become convinced that he he is a conspiracist. He is absolutely ideologically committed in these, along certain directions that often changes depending on on, on the climate. He was a conspiracist back when he thought the moon landing was a hoax. He's fully committed on the anti-vax globalist. The Democrats are evil.
1: Australia's a penal colony. Yeah, yeah, you know. he's right about that one, isn't he? (laughs)
2: yeah yeah it's hell
1: here it's hell
0: (laughs) regarding the lab leak that's an interesting example because i think the danger with people like ourselves is we can pay too much attention to the chatter on a topic like that and having a few connections to people who know a lot more about that than us these professors of virology and stuff like that it wasn't like the lab leak was completely out of not even a possibility then oh it seems like it's very possible that was just in the chatter sphere the the actual mm. science on it yeah of course but the chatter sphere undudged. is what we're
2: talking about isn't it the chatter sphere is what gets people uh platformed or not not a dispassionate observation of the science but
1: the way people present that science in the chatter sphere is as if that was forbidden for scientists to discuss and it it never was like it. It's discussed in all of the relevant papers. People are not no, as No, no, but it was, it was forbidden
2: in polite in polite society. You were laughed out of Brooklyn parties for believing it.
1: No, that I can accept, but not the the first part, like being laughed out of some Manhattan cocktail party. A similar thing happened whenever Sam Harris said to me that you know CRT is in all the schools across the US. I know nothing about the curriculum in the schools, but I said, but is that true? Like all the schools? And he said, well at least in the elite schools in Manhattan. And like, sure, maybe it's more influential there, but that's a very different claim. And I I think when people were talking about the lab leak and how vilified it is, like Joe, for example, claimed that if you discussed it, you could be kicked off Twitter. Now, I discussed it plenty at the time and seen many other people do the same thing. And when I went back and even looked at articles that were on Slate and Vox, which I'm no great fan of those sites for their editorial line, but they often were much less extreme than what people, like people were only taking a headline. And when you read the article, there was a whole paragraph saying, you know, now we can't rule out that a lab leak is a possible scenario. And virologists said they want to make clear that they can't, right? But then that's presented as you were hounded out of the street if you ever mentioned it. And I think that is like another issue of the chattering sphere Recasting things,
2: yeah, but I think I think you're I think you're imposing a, an an unfairly high bar on what the claim is. Uh, like the claim need only be that having a conversation which took seriously the lab leak hypothesis in April of 2020 would have ruffled feathers in the same way that the McCullough and episodes that claim now that gunshot victims are being classified as COVID deaths ruffles feathers. It doesn't have to be that you would get fired from your job or kicked off Twitter. If I don't know if, Joe, if Rogan said that, but if he did, that sounds like hyperbole. But the claim need only be that there are th- there are things that we regard now as being misinformation, which in two years we may not, in just the same way as it would have been regarded generally by most people and by most editors at most newspapers and news organizations uh, and cocktail parties in Brooklyn as being misinformation to say that you believed that it came from a lab two years ago.
1: But not amongst the relevant scientists or most of the science journalists or those kind of people, right? But so what, we're talking about. What does that, what purchase does that get you? Well, so when you were talking about ruffling fellows, you mean amongst a partisan liberal? Yeah, I mean, the, because the
2: critics of cancel culture are not saying that cancel culture has infected science i mean maybe james Lindsay's saying oh. that
1: <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, i think yeah. the main the main
2: criticism is that the the mob will come for your podcast and you know get spotify to boot you off because you're talking crazy talk even if the crazy talk is crazy talk that is taken that is being uh, discussed in scientific papers it doesn't matter if it's being discussed in scientific papers if it's going to get you booted off spotify for saying it publicly
0: mm. i mean look i think we probably agree on a lot on this stuff like Chris and I are mainly about criticizing stuff that we think is shit, <laughs> <laughs> not, not about calling for people to be canceled. Well, what is, and I think you're okay with that.
2: Yeah. I mean, I know, I think you guys do a great job and it's fantastic to hear it all kind of compiled in one place because I don't have your patience. <laughs> like I hear I'm alone and I just roll my eyes and I have better things to do than, than dissect every single way in which he's wrong. But I'm very glad that you guys do. I'm interested in your thoughts then about, you know, I'm, we mentioned earlier that I'd just done this podcast with James Lindsay, which I'm really frustrated that I didn't get to, to do, be, to release because the software packed up and I didn't have a backup for it. And he and I spent almost two hours arguing. I think he came into this thinking that I was going to be a left-wing star completely dismissing Hi.
1: I think all
2: he knew about me was that I had contradicted Joe Rogan therefore if I am the uh. non-Joe Rogan then and I think he'd read me in like Barry Weiss's sub stack or maybe heard me on the fifth column podcast or one of those things defending mm. Australia so if I was a pro concentration camp like anti-Tim Pool. <laughs> anti-Joe Rogan person then by definition I was a soft squishy yeah. butterfly just flapping my way towards Marxism
1: <laughs> that's accurate yeah that's, <laughs> the, that's the impression I but got <laughs> I think when he fe- when
2: he then learned that I I get most of my shit well probably equal amounts of my shit from the left uh, from the woke left as I do from the alt-right maybe I'm not allowed to call them the alt-right everyone gets angry when I call sort of right-wing well not even right-wing when I call shit posters when I call shit posters online who have who care a lot more about liberty than you do, and who are very performative in that way, if I call them alt-right, people get angry because, no, no, technically right-wing. It's not not PC (laughs) anymore. Don't
0: don't worry, we know who you're being. I'm like, okay, they're not all (laughs) all right,
2: technically, but they're just shitheads, uh, they're dum-dums. But so, you know, when, when James Lindsay then found out that I am generally fighting also, I think, for the ascendancy of a conception of egalitarianism that embraces liberalism and does favor free speech and is not obsessed with identity and like sort of equity and what i regard as being the divisiveness of identitarian movements when he heard that i'm like the sort of anti-lgbtqi plus type of gay who doesn't really care very much about my own identity as a gay person or that i'm you know not banging on all the time about my jewishness or my whiteness or whatever then i think he he sort of liked that And we were able to argue in interesting ways about his worldview, which, as I'm sure you guys know, because I believe you've just recorded an episode about James Lindsay, which you're about to release, which I can't wait to hear. He (laughs) sees that he sees the sort of uh, this movement as being not just a a fringe bunch of cancel culture fanatics, but an ideology that is set in almost totalitarian opposition to all things that we hold dear.
1: So with James Lindsay, it is interesting to talk about him and I think like in some respects he's a to me seems a much less difficult case than it comes to someone like Rogan because James Lindsay can be reasonable in conversations like not his last appearance on Rogan but the appearance before that I don't know if you saw it but he kind of presented his argument pretty well right like the position that's outlined outlined in his book cynical theories James's content and the episode that we will release has gotten really, really much more extreme. And I don't know to what extent he was referencing how far his his beliefs go. But I mean, you must have seen that clip recently of him talking about a communism inside a fascism and a fascism inside a uh, I'm afraid I sure. missed that. That's you're, <laughs> if you look at it afterwards, it, it's a piece of internet brilliance. The details of which are irrelevant, except to say that in James's worldview, and and we tie this very tightly to a guy that he's collaborated with for many years now, Michael O'Fallon of Sovereign Nations, a kind of Christian nationalist guy. It's become very much anti-globalist, tied in with the World Economic Forum referencing that their plan is to make all of us eat insects in the Great Reset.
2: What's this Klaus guy? Everyone's always on suddenly <laughs> about Klaus, you know, everyone like yeah. I've heard him on Joe Rogan like six times, people talking about margins, Marjid's onto him and James Lindsay's onto him, this Klaus Schwab or something. I'd never heard of yeah. this dude. It's like all of a sudden he's the poster child for a conspiracy. He's the new George Soros. He is. It sounds like. Or Hillary Clinton.
1: Hmm. And he's a figure that you can hear on InfoWars. You could hear on InfoWars a couple of months before he started appearing on Rogan, on, on James Lindsay's output and so on. And that's it's something like would, I guess, push back on when it comes to anybody suggesting that Lindsay is a reasonable person or somebody that we need to heed because his conspiracies are now at alex jones level like i mean he was feuding with the holocaust memorial site but you can just regard that as bad judgment but his current take on the ukraine crisis is that the president of ukraine is a psyop and that it might all be a plot by the world economic forum to introduce wokeism and the great reset (laughs) right he is talking about billions of people being killed in Mm -hmm. in order to introduce Chinese style communism to the U.S. I can't see why we need to entertain people like him or a lot of people in the heterodox sphere currently who are trying to interpret the U- Ukraine crisis through the lens of wokeism and the culture war.
2: So it's incredible that what's, what has amazed me over the past five years or so is the infinite parochialism of people and social media and in particular Americans. Sorry, Americans. I mean, we all do it, but I think, I think people yes. outside America are embarrassed by their own parochialism, and yes. a- Americans have never learned that trait because uh, America is so large and such a cultural influence on the world that it has its own gravitational vortex, and you never need to sort of see it from outside. And because Americans don't travel as much as everybody else, they're sort of insulated from that. But You know, it's one of the things that bothers me most about wokeism itself, which is that it's a very peculiarly kind of Americanized conception of racial identitarianism that gets superimposed on the rest of the world. It's very, in this kind of essentialist idea about the African-American experience. I mean, I have white American friends who, like I've been outside of America traveling with them and they've referred to black people outside America as African-Americans like you know, it, that's just a black person, <laughs> right? Like they've never been to America. They're not African Americans. They don't have the same history. They don't have the same. You know, a French African person has a very different experience and a very different conception of what it means to be black in France than a, a person than an African American person might. Not to mention the fact that a lot of African Americans will also have very diverse ideas about uh, their their own racial identity. So uh, in the same way, I do see this kind of echoes a little bit what we were saying earlier about the covid statistics and you could just carve america out of the data set and you would still see that covid Mm. is a very bad thing Mm. and Mm. in the same respect there's a a deep parochialism on the anti-woke uh whatever that movement is uh, that sees everything around the world as being about trying to impose critical race theory on america's school children like even the war in ukraine like Mm. ukrainians exist Central Europeans exist. Like This is one of the things that I find so weird. Like I was even having a shot at Tulsi Gabbard the other day for for tweeting about how how America could have avoided this because if only America had this, and if America had that, and there's this kind of old-school American diplomatic core which is kind of self-flagellating about America, and if we hadn't done this with NATO, and if we hadn't done that with NATO, then Putin wouldn't have this, and Putin wouldn't have that. And I'm like, there's 100 million Central Europeans. Talk to them about what they think (laughs) of Putin. Talk to them yeah. about what they want yeah, out yeah. of their lives, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, they're the people who we need to be thinking about right now. This isn't a geopolitical <laughs> game between Washington, D.C. and Moscow primarily. This is about 44 million Ukrainians, and however the fuck mm. many Polish people there are, and Estonians. Like, these are the people who are actually there. This is It's their future yeah. who's on the line. Like, stop yeah. with all this. And so, yes, you've clearly triggered something in me here. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, not everything is about your fucking woke wars. Grow yeah. up, dude. Yeah. It's a big yeah. world out there. There's a lot of problems out there. In fact, <laughs> you know one of the best things that I've I've heard about wokeness which was, gave me pause in my sort of anti-woke crusade was by Tyler Cowen, you know, the libertarian economist Tyler Cowen. One of the best things that gave me pause about my uh, in my sort of anti-woke vendetta was by the libertarian uh, economist Tyler Cowen, where he said like he's no fan of wokeness. He's no fan of cancel culture. But Given that America is so good at exporting cultural phenomena and movements, if you could export wokeness to the world and just turn, make the world 10% more woke, wouldn't that be a good thing in Nigeria, in Indonesia, Mm -hmm. right? In Bangladesh, Mm -hmm. in Hungary? (laughs) you know, yeah, in Hungary, like all over the place. So yeah, it might be a little bit extreme for us here where we're all getting caught up in the revolution and like we're worrying about whether or not we went too far with Louis CK. But the reality is if you could make the rest of the world just a little bit more woke, that would be a great thing. So we should probably not worry too much about it.
0: Yeah, Josh, I mean, I was thinking just before you sort of articulated where you generally come from politically, philosophically, maximizing liberalism and stuff like that. And all of the stuff that you spoke about I think Chris and I are p- pretty much on board in the same place and and I was trying to identify where if anywhere we we might diverge and I think I think probably my one message would be to you know exercise that kind of moderation that goes along with the liberalism and like the anti-war crusaders like James Lindsay are a bit like the sort of anti-communists of the 1950s and so on. It's a thing. It's real. If you get on the internet, if you get in certain parts of academia or journals, whatever, it can certainly be extremely annoying. And I'm not saying it's insignificant. But what I will say is a lot of the people who have a big focus on that kind of thing and are extremely worried about the terrible threats to free speech and so on, really don't seem to be very worried at all about all the crazy shit that's going on the the right side of politics as well you know fox news is still around fox news is doing its things fox news isn't going to be <laughs> you know deplatforming anybody and there is i see amongst the free speech absolutists this kind of head in the sand kind of thing which kind of pretends that these annoying academics or or people on twitter is like the only thing that exists in the universe so I, I'd probably just be preaching a little bit of motor, uh, moderation and worrying mm. about the, the grand threat posed by to free speech by cancel culture and so on. I think what you're saying, Matt, is too many people are too fucking online.
2: I mean, that's the impression. <laughs> honestly, that's the impression that I got from James Lindsay when I, after our mm. two hour long chat, and that's the impression I got from Marjorie listening to Marjorie on Joe Rogan's show. Like, mm. these are v- actually very brilliant people who are spending way too much time on Twitter. Mm. Yeah. And their, yeah. their worldviews have been deranged by it. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that we live in a world where such people exist, but they're essentially the town cranks who have have gone too far down the rabbit hole of suspicion. They're the people mm. who are constantly whispering about, you know, how they saw mm. the baker down the street going out in the evening, and maybe he's got some bodies bodies buried in his basement. You know, one in a thousand times that guy's right, but nine hundred ninety nine times out of a thousand, he's just the town crank. He's just been spending too long peering out the window with the curtain drawn, snooping on everybody on Twitter.
0: <laughs> One thing I've thought in, in decoding all of these gurus is how they actually have something in common with the very ideological, academic, woke person, for want of a better word, is in the sense of constructing these cloud castles based mm. on a, a few premises. And these very strong ideological things are constructed from that. And I think there is a real similarity there. Sometimes reality is just messy and, and often boring, and there isn't a grand conspiracy and there isn't these hidden dark forces that are at play.
1: So I, th- I think, I don't know what I think. <laughs> <laughs> I just think a similarity. <laughs> when you see like James Lindsay, after you just complained about people being too online, Josh, I feel self-conscious doing this, but I've got to reference it anyway, I, he appeared on Dr. Phil and. He- he went on this unhinged rant about critical race theory, but he was he was citing papers and he wasn't doing it in a way that came across as he knows his stuff. It came across as what you're describing, like the the town madman saying, you know. And in 1988, 1998, there was a paper published, and if you looked on page three, they said, and it struck me that in opposing that or Seeking to oppose the influence of wokeism or s- extreme social justice, that often—it's very often—it's not a rare occurrence—that the people themselves are either they're already mental, or they they go further down that that path, and they come to a place of that they're still all talking about these same studies, the friggin' feminist glaciology paper, which I, I ever hear about again will be too soon. I know that I'll be hearing about emojis and which color they should be for years to come as well. And, and these things, it feels like actually, it, like with, with the Ukraine event, as you described, that they can't get out of their wheelhouse. They they talk about as if they don't want the culture war, you know, they want wokeism to go away and all, all this. But it feels very much like they wouldn't have anything to play with mm. if they didn't have The culture war. And they wouldn't have podcast content for every week to talk about the newest, you know, thing that somebody said on Twitter. And I think the Ukraine takes, which have been insane, have revealed to people in much the way the COVID takes, that there's a lot of people with melted culture war brains, where it's culture war 24-7. And that's all that exists when, like, as you note, it isn't. Mm. It's, I'm sorry, mm. I'm sorry, but it, you know, it's, it is it's, an amazing, it's, it's an amazing
2: sociological thing to have witnessed, like the, the derailment of the, the skeptical of so many skeptical minds over the past five years. I mean, it has to be mm. just an incremental thing that people people who are, people who are naturally drawn towards, towards questioning conventional explanations for things. Mm. like like a sailboat that's just tacking you know a half a degree to the left but keeps on doing it every single day ends up veering way off course they somehow Mm. end up you know you come back and check in with them three to five years later and all of a sudden they're babbling like lunatics but to them every incremental step has been
0: completely logical yeah that's how conspiracy conspiratorial ideation develops of course at one step at a time one one Mm. premise builds on the next Whereas we, of course, are, are uniquely
2: wise <laughs> and uh, yeah, free yeah, of exactly. cognitive biases. This is a CF spy. <laughs> yeah, <yeah, yeah>. We've <laughs> got it. rid
1: of all those biases. Exactly.
2: I know everything and everybody else doesn't know anything. Everybody else is an idiot. That should be that on, that on my tombstone. Yeah. At least well, I that's... was right.
0: Everyone else was an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so like, you know, in terms of skeptics, you made me think of Michael Sharma and you made, um, you know, he's, a he's the head of the skeptic organization in the U.S. Yeah. He seems another one. Like, he's not completely nuts. But he just incrementally is going down this road, following this kind of inexorable path. So it feels like there's like a systemic kind of push that pushes people in this direction. I mean, we've noticed this even with COVID, for instance. I don't know if you know, but there's a couple of figures: uh, Z Dog MD, and what's the name of the other guy, Chris? Oh, uh, um, uh, Indian uh, in of- Vinay Chris? prasad Vinay Prasad. Vinay Prasad. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> anyway. Um, mm. uh, Certainly. A a couple of formerly good medical people, but also public commenters on COVID, and they have social media platforms, which I think is critical. And you've been able to observe this in real time. They're like normal people that have been pulled towards the kinds of takes that get traction, that are emotionally, intuitively appealing. There's another guy, Campbell, I think his name, an English guy, Chris, what's his name? John Campbell. John Campbell. Um, another guy who was providing good information on that topic, but has drifted towards the, the conspiratorial. So it, it makes me think that in trying to understand what's going on with these opinionators, it's not so much that there's like a few bad apples or there's a few people that are just intrinsically crazy, but rather th- there's also these. Whether you call it audience capture or just the dynamics of social media, the you know Dawkins memes, you know, there's bad toxic memes spreading <laughs> faster than good ones. There's some sort of force that is pushing things in a bad direction, and that's what makes me a little bit skeptical of the let a thousand flowers bloom kind of optimistic view of the international mm. you know inf- infosphere. Well, because well, yeah, I, let me yeah.
2: let me let me end then with with just one uh, grantee one point there, which is that th- what is deranging a lot of this is that the the incentives that the platforms themselves have are warped so the you you could let a thousand flowers bloom if every post was uh, treated equally by the algorithm but the fact that the only thing that social media platforms in particular care about is the amount of time that you spend on the site because they're funded by advertising yeah that consequently means that things that get the largest amount of engagement are the things that get bumped up to the top of your viewing feed. Uh, and that means that things that elicit responses that make you either like or share or comment on them are going to be prioritized over things that are perhaps more reasonable. And of course, you're going to be stirred up by things that are more extreme. So it's it's an extremification machine. Uh, that That logic doesn't entirely hold with podcasts, but it sort of does because of course, a podcast that's incredibly controversial is going to go viral and have more people sharing it and more people liking it and commenting on it. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm sort of with you there that like, I think you'd go a long way towards solving a lot of these problems. If the platforms that we share things on weren't biased towards, uh, more unusual content that elicits mm. more of a rise out of us.
1: Yeah. I want to add a note there, just that Z Dog and Vinay Prasad, uh, low, I think they, they definitely hugely fall into the both sides in camp too often, they're not people that overall are opposed to vaccines, right? They tend to be people who just have a lot of sympathy for people that have concerns about vaccines and might spend a large amount of their attention, especially in the case of Vinay talking about how children don't need to be vaccinated, but they're not in the same category as Malone no. and McCulloch. But it's definitely clear from looking at particularly at Vanai's content that there's a there's a pool and there's a reward loop for taking stances which appeal to a heterodox or against the mainstream audience. And Josh, I've got a question relevant to you for that. When I look at the heterodox sphere, heterodox thinkers, and of course, there are people within that on certain fringes that are easily dismissed that you you wouldn't have that much sympathy for. There might be people that have extreme takes. So I think Ben Shapiro in the IDW, for example, was always really an outlier, right? Most of the people in there were not in the same status of Ben Shapiro as an open right-wing partisan. But something that I've noticed is there's a lot of people in the heterodox spheres, your your Brett Weinstein's Jordan Peterson, James Lindsay, who have took this death spiral that we've talked about. If at first with COVID, also with the stolen election, then with the insurrection, and more recently World Economic Forum, Great Reset, take your pick. But when there's so many in that sphere who otherwise would have been well-regarded, maybe would be people that you would have happily talked to, probably still would talk to, does there seem something concerning there, which is, if not on a par, at least a big problem that the heterodox sphere doesn't seem good at grappling with, and I'm including with this, the tendency that Peter Burgosian at the minute is in Hungary giving lectures for Orban. Jordan Peterson met with Orban. James Lindsay happily promotes, you know, the most extreme wing of the Trump party. And that seems to me an issue that the heterodoxy are good at getting together, complaining about mainstream uh, institutions, complaining about woke journalists. But they don't look in the mirror very often that the extremists in their midst. And there's a lot of them.
2: I mean, well, the ones who don't look in their, look at the extremists in their midst tend to be extremists themselves. I mean, I think I think the ones who aren't extremists do look at the extremists in their midst with some bafflement. I mean, Sam Harris does, and like you know, Andrew Sullivan does, and I suppose Barry Weiss does, and I suppose you know the the, the members of the original ID, and you know, I don't know Matt Glacia or whoever else you might want to broadly Matt Taibbi. My, uh, glenn greenwald i don't know how how wide a network casting for this uh, this collection of people but there's a collection of people who are uh, you know who would have been considered in the same basket as i don't know dave rubin and james Lindsay and uh, and brett weinstein and margaret Nawaz five years ago but who now are equally baffled as baffled as you you and i are about what's happened to them and i think you're right it's a really cautionary tale it's a cautionary tale about how a little bit of skepticism can be useful and a lot of skepticism can be deranging and you know uh, yes it's got something to do with audience capture it's got something to do with being too online it's got something to to do with uh, losing perspective you know there are there are obviously conditions that conspire to encourage otherwise intelligent people with, with critical you know a lot of critical thinking faculties to become possessed by ghosts and and goblins and demons and to build these castles in the sky, as as you put it, to, to ward them off. And, uh, you know, that, it is something that I think about a lot. It's something that I think about making sure that I don't do. It's something that I think about. I mean, I also spend a lot of time thinking about the related problem of the opportunity cost of focusing on all this stuff at all. I mean, you know, mm. what are the things that we're not talking about that we could have been talking about here for the past hour that would be more fruitful that are really important so i mean i certainly want to privately in my own career in my own relationship to my own output spend a lot more time thinking about things that i think are still going to seem relevant in 10 or 20 years let alone 50 years than all this nonsense which I, i really i don't think is hugely consequential either way Mm-hmm. I
1: think the culture war will reach eternally, <laughs> though. Like that, it was raging in the '90s, and will continue. But the whatever the weekly controversies are are probably not going to stay that constant. I would say though that my general approach has been one of perpetual cynicism for for a long time now. Like you know, maybe a, a side effect of growing up in Northern Ireland, but the trajectory that people like Brett Weinstein and James Lindsay and so on take. It didn't surprise me that much when I looked at their content, because when you dig in, you see the tendency towards conspiracism. You see like long before the events of Evergreen and all those kind of things. Brett had alternative theories about evolution. He had conspiracy theories that he discovered the one smoking gun flaw that undermines all pharmaceuticals in, in the US, if not further Field, And you know, Eric Weinstein had a alternative theory of everything right? They, these are not average people. And I, I guess with people like Sam, part of my contention is that there's a bit of a blind spot amongst heterodox people to those issues. And it, it, they've just become in sharper relief with COVID and with things like the voter ballot conspiracy. But they're perhaps weaknesses that are quite difficult to to plug if your position is an inherent, deep skepticism of anything mainstream like a kind of reactionary contrarianism yeah i mean i'm not sure that there was never a there there
2: uh, you know i, I think I, i'm not sure that the lesson is that you were always right and uh <laughs> you <laughs> were right all along <laughs> tempting as that might might be for you to to believe you know it's it, it's possible to it's possible to notice uh, a problem let's let's articulate the problem as being a, a kind of a, a group think in academia that is too identitarian and too disrespectful of the rambunctious exchange of free ideas and small L liberal values that you can identify that as being a, a problem and uh you know you can have been right in identifying that as a problem even if half the people who also identified that as a problem then went off and started chasing pixies
1: I'm very, very unfortunately all too aware that I am often wrong. And uh, <laughs> a, a fantastic take was I remember telling people that, you know, COVID was just going to be like SARS and we won't be talking in a, in a couple of months. <laughs> I, I, a great thing that stood the test of time. But I, and I also agree just to say that I'm not arguing that because of the trajectories that people have taken, that there are no issues about woke overreach or uh, those kind of criticisms that people might raise, there's no validity to them and we can just dismiss them. Like I wouldn't go so far. So just, just to be clear. I'm kind of with you, Josh, in that I'm a bit
0: more, uh, I'm not as cynical as Chris, put it that way. And I think despite all of the the bad stuff that we cover and have been talking about, you know, all of this, this, this profusion of different voices, all of the podcasts, this, a lot of it is absolutely great. Like, I was just looking at the podcasts I subscribe to the history podcasts, astronomy podcasts, these psychology ones. Like, there is Uncomfortable Conversations fed- with Josh. Oh, Sets. yeah. i sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah that's kind of the <laughs> best of the yeah,
2: list. You know, the, 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 the king,
0: <laughs> really, the crowning achievement of all podcasting. Yeah. But for instance, Say the fifth column. I, I remember enjoying your episodes mm. of the fifth column. I, I think they're crazy libertarians, but I also think that they're pretty cool, and I'd love mm. to. I'd love to hear them. So there's a lot of good stuff going on, and you know, you talk about what you're trying to do, which is to move things in a positive direction, not get caught up in the froth and the the, the nonsense of the culture war completely, until we disappear up our own asses. But actually, deal with things that are important. I mean, we're trying to do the same thing a little bit, I think, in that. We are pointing out stuff that's bad, but we're trying to cover people that we think are good and, and we show how they don't do deceptive rhetorical tricks and all that. So, look, I think there's some positive signs there. And I think maybe it's just a cultural thing where us as a global society has to adjust to this new technology. I think where I was getting at with that sort of moderation, editorial things, whatever, I don't know what shape it will take, but I think there's got to be some sort of cultural or institutional adjustment that sort of accommodates the new technology. But like you, uh, I don't think we have any ideas or great, like we don't know how to fix this. We don't think there's Mm. any sort of magic bullet that'll fix it. Um, So we'll just keep criticizing people in the meantime until somebody else sorts it out.
2: The only solution I have for you is for everybody to listen to uncomfortable conversations with Josh sets <laughs> podcasting platforms where we have those conversations, the uncomfortable ones, and we don't care about triggering any tripwires uh, with all the people yeah. who are, uh, who are, th- I suppose the people who you pick apart on this show.
1: Yeah. I don't well, think I just banter with them. That's. That's that's the selling point. You you get all of that. You get all the Josh, but you don't have to deal with me and Matt. You don't. Have, imagine
2: Chris and Matt's show without all of the annoying nonsense and without with no Chris and no Matt. But yeah. everything else is just me and the interesting people.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> definitely better spoken. <laughs> yeah.
0: uh, well, well, Josh, I will say thanks um, heaps for volunteering to to come on. It's been good. no, it's great to talk. It's lovely to talk to you guys. I've actually. Yeah. I, I will say also that I've I've listened to you in the car radio and stuff like that for many years. So it was a bit of a buzz to hear that listen to our little podcast. So yeah, really good. Well, that's that's uh, that's lovely. No, you guys are great, uh, and
2: I love your show. So thanks for thanks for the invitation. Yeah. Cheers, Josh.
1: Well, Matt, that was Josh Zepps. He's he's gone. He put us through the ringer. You know, it was a a, a punchy dialogue. There were Good points made on both sides, and we've we've stumbled out of the <laughs> ring, battered and bruised, but but obviously victorious. He's fine. Those are very
0: those are very bland platitudes. Comments. You don't remember what we spoke about at all, do you? You've totally forgotten.
1: <laughs> uh, uh, Matt, no, you're spoiling the magic of podcasting. We just finished the conversation. Just just went out the door <laughs> just now. Of course, I remember everything we said, and it was it was thrilling. So. So thank you, Josh. (laughs) Sparkling Um, repetite
0: from beginning to end. Yeah. He's a smooth talker, is Josh. he's a good talker. A good thinker too. He he is. He thinks on his feet.
1: Yeah. And uh if anybody is interested in in following him, he mentioned it on our episode, but yeah we'll also put, you know, the relevant links and whatnot into the episode notes. So if you find Josh an interesting guy, just look in the episode notes and you can find other ways to follow him and see his podcast so with that said matt we now need to turn to the opinions of other people on the internet various folks around the intersphere who have listened to our podcast and have decided to review it and for their reward for doing so is that we will review their review tit for tat (laughs) Yes, it's that's the, right.
0: That's what you get. Keep that in mind before you leave prisoner. a bad review. <laughs> yeah. Keep that in it's mind the everybody. It's prisoner's
1: dilemma in action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. That's right. You had your tit, now we're having our tat.
1: Yeah, so you you need to think about this when you're going to leave your reviews. Now, Matt, this week I I've got two, but actually I I don't have a a strong negative one. I do have a critique though, but it's a five-star review. So um, mm. this one says, a explosive show on James Lindsay, and it's by Elvin Knob. <laughs> Um five stars. But what they said, Matt, is you might say it was nuclear, but instead kept pronouncing it nucle- nuclear, giving show a hard George W. Bush vibe buzzkill. Five stars though, no one should have to listen to that much Lindsay Bloney. Wow, so much. Hmm. What do you think about that?
0: Well, let's get to the bottom. Let's 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 figure out once and for all, how do you say nuclear? Is how uh, I said it, now, right?
1: What did you say? Say it again. Nuclear. Nuclear. Now the listen, you folks on the internet, let me just help you out here. There's more countries in the world America, <laughs> all right? <laughs> and there's more pronunciations and more dialects than your parochial concerns might suggest. So, so maybe you might want to look into how that word is pronounced across the globe. The globe? That's not right. That one's right. not right. <laughs> the globe. The globe. <laughs> but yes, so, so I'm not saying Matt and I are perfectly you know, eloquent, pronouncing everything, pronouncing, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> pronouncing everything correctly as illustrated. <laughs> but, but you might want to check about how nuclear is pronounced in the UK or in Australia, for example, before you throw some shade. Just a suggestion for internet yeah. people out there.
0: That's right. It's the Queen's English. You just listen to how the Queen says it, and that's the right way to say it. Am I right? That's not what
1: I was. No? <laughs> that's, that. no? okay. But but anyway, yeah. So that's all. Just saying, you know, maybe maybe check in there before you start bashing people's pronunciation. But um. But but you know. um.
0: Thank you for the five stars, though. Thank you for the five stars.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that was good. The five stars. Yeah, uh, Elvin Knob. <laughs> um. So <laughs> so thank you. Um. For for that. No. We we have another so this one is from Andy Man is awesome <laughs> so if he does say so himself and the title is it's a good pod it's a good pod so, it's all right um, it's all right it's all right yeah and it's five stars it's five stars so I'm I'm you know I'm patting our backs here but let's see there's a little bit of nagging in it can't stop listening. Don't know if this podcast will save Western civilization like the portal, but it scratches my my snarky commentary itch whenever I listen, which is almost as important. Also, fun accents abound. If your brain has been permanently damaged by the culture war on Twitter, then this is a must listen. Otherwise... (laughs) Please spare yourself this experience and go outside and do something productive <laughs> instead or listen to a different <laughs> podcast where you'll learn something actually useful. Great job guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's actually good advice. That's good advice. People should be listening to astronomy podcasts, history podcasts. They'll they'll learn all the kinds of useful column. things. <laughs> the, the fifth yeah, column. Yeah, yeah, literally yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's that's... going on. Yeah, go outside, <laughs> touch grass. You know, look at the clouds. These are that's all good right. options. Faces
1: and clouds—they're all there. So, so there we go, Matt. That's our review our review of reviews. Not too negative this week. You know, a, 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 a negative points somebody wrong about pronunciation, and and then we have the you know some praise. That's good. Nice little mix. Yeah, a cocktail of reviews. Yeah, that's
0: right. Just another day in the Guru's fear.
1: And speaking no. of the Guru's fear, Matt, we we need to thank. Some people who, who deem to enter it, are patrons, our lovely patrons yes. who enter the Guru Sphere to support us. The real gurusphere sphere. They become galaxy brains, revolutionary geniuses, or conspiracy hypothesizers in order to help us listen to idiots talk nonsense. That's not what this <laughs> show is about, but no, 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 it, it, they, They're supporting a worthy endeavor. So I thought I'd mention a few of them unless you object. Um, go, go right ahead, go right ahead. Okay, so this this week we have for Galaxy Brain Gurus Gareth Lee. We have Juanita Custance. Um, oh,
0: that's stop. That's my cousin. What Juanita Custance? Oh, Juanita really? Custance. Oh, really? That's how you pronounce it. By I the way. even did a name yeah, right.
1: Juanita like Custance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Really, after all of that talk about correct pronunciation, you really have. You really shot the bed on this one, Chris.
1: Um, how did you? How do you have a cousin with that kind of name? Like your genetics are a mystery, Matt. But um, <laughs> that's a uh, thank you, Matt's cousin. Let's see if the the rest of them are your family. But you should say something nice. She's a family member. Well, Juanita is
0: a lovely person, and her family are lovely, and they're very cool. They live down in Melbourne, and they're the coolest people that I'm related to, I think.
1: I like that. In Melbourne. <laughs> and they've got good taste in podcasts, or at least she does. One of them does. So that's yeah. that's good. She,
0: so She was the one who left that review. I, oh, I'm pretty sure it was her. We can't be entirely sure. But she was the one who said, I started listening to this podcast made by my cousin. You can just imagine my... My thoughts,
1: oh.
0: <laughs> and yeah. she was it wasn't expecting it to be good, which I understand. I completely understand. That's I, well, I it, would expect so cringe well. as well, and there's a fair bit of cringe. But
1: uh, you know, clearly, I've we've done all right, so she's still with us. That's, That's great. Right, she's still supporting. So thank you, Juanita. We also need to find Death Stabler, Death Stabler, Detective Stablor. Maybe it's Detective Stabler. I'm. I'm not related to him. It's death.stablor. So yeah, that's a detective Stabler. And then last for this week, Rob Baird or Bard. Rob Baird. Ro- Rob Baird. Is this another? That's not another family member, is it? No, but I think I know. I think I know him, Matt. I don't think give I know this Rob. away. Not all the people supporting us <laughs> are like your friends and family. That'll give the wrong Im- impression.
0: <laughs> These are all pity uh, subscriptions, Chris they pity subscriptions.
1: <laughs> they are in a certain way. So thank you to all of those nice galaxy brain gurus. You're sitting on one of the great scientific stories that I've ever heard, and you're so polite.
0: And, hey, wait a minute, am I an expert? I kind of am.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't trust people
1: at all. And so for this week... Our revolutionary geniuses, we have a couple of those, and we have Lewis Price, Samuel Brooks, who I think you may know, he, you, I believe you <laughs> might have been on this podcast. No? Am I done? Is that right? Well, is In it, any case. A, a, a second
0: cousin or something. I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Samuel Brooks, thank you. And Rebecca L. Shanawani. I, oh, I think I also know from Twitter. So... So thank you, Lewis, Samuel, and Rebecca. Maybe you can
2: spit out that hydrogenated thinking and let yourself feed off
1: of your own thinking.
2: What you really are is an unbelievable thinker and researcher, a thinker that the world doesn't know.
1: We're now going to thank the the lowest (laughs) tier, <laughs> <laughs> the the, uh, the conspiracy hypothesizes but they're no less important, Matt. They're no less important. They support us and they get access mm. to the bonus episodes. So you know, these are these are they're important people in their own right. That's right. They're just as worthy. I, I won't hear you say a bad word against them. No, I won't. I won't. And they are for this week: Samantha Ray, Emma, Kyle S, and Charlotte Goodall. Yay! That's
0: right. We may not love them quite as much as the top tier Patreons, but we love them like infinitely more than the people who are not Patreons. That's, that's a fair statement, The bad people.
1: It? Yeah, the bad that's people. right. Yeah. You're yeah. The we better move on. <laughs> <laughs> conspiracy <laughs> Hypothesisers, thank you all. Every great
2: idea starts with a minority
0: of one. We are not going to advance conspiracy theories. We will advance
1: conspiracy hypotheses. All right. Now, before we finish this week, there is just one more thing to take care of, and that's that people might be expecting that the next guru that we're going to look at is Jerome Larnier because we mentioned that, and he he is coming up soon. But there's somebody who's jumped ahead of the line. We've done the at the coding episode with a an unexpected character, Reverend Moon of the Unification. <laughs> church. Um, and we've done this because we did some crossover episodes with Elgin Street from the Falling Out podcast, who has a podcast for ex-members of the Unification Church. And um, so we, we have an interview with Elgin coming out next week, and then we have a decoding episode with some of the historical recorded lectures by Reverend Moon. So that will be interesting. So we haven't forgot about Drone Larnier, but this was an interesting opportunity and Elgin had a lot of interesting things to say. So that's coming up first, a uh, historical decoding in in the vein of Anthony DeMello and, and Carl Sagan, I guess.
0: Yeah, quite a character, Reverend Moon.
1: Absolute sex. <laughs> you'll, absolute sex. you'll find out what that's about. He's, he's a fan <laughs> of saying absolute X, Y, and Z. So... Mm. yeah the yeah, absolute yeah. sex look forward to learning about that
0: yeah don't make promises you can't keep right, that, that's my advice
1: too <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's moon. good advice for old reverend moon all right well matt it's been a pleasure i i have had quite enough of australians after this episode now so i need to go and, and be yeah. it for a while but yeah one is enough yeah ne- next out will be julian he's not australian
0: no, he's he's of indeterminate origin, somewhere in the Indian Ocean or Atlantic. I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, I believe he's a collection of cells which came to sentient. So that's Julian's origin story. <laughs> Surprising, but um, <laughs> you know, an interesting character because of that. That'll be good. That'll be good. So, Matt, go gravel at the yep. feet of your muscle master, muscle master. This is like the bad pronunciation episode. Muscle master. Scrubble at his feet.
0: <laughs> Expect more reviews.
1: Uh yeah. Nuclear. Alright. Bye bye. Bye bye.